Welcome to That's the Ticket, a travel podcast for people with itchy feet. My name is Renat and my name is Vanessa. This podcast is all about practical tips and meaningful conversations. We cover lots of topics, including but not limited to planning and social travel, getting the most out of your trips and communicating, travel tips and more. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining, joining us. us. everyone good to be with you here again on our podcast today we decided to do something a little bit different than our usual episodes yeah we wanted to have a discussion with my friend ted who is also my co-host of the multipod which is a podcast for people who are multi-potentialites and just to explain it briefly multi-potentialites are people that have interest and engagement in multiple types of activities Yeah, I think multipotentiality is really cool. I think I might also be a bit of multipotentialite myself in some sense. Yeah. Although, yeah. Uh, but sometimes I have to say that it's hard to juggle between all the things I want to do. Oh, I hear you. I constantly deal with that problem. <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, we talk about that on the Multipod, that kind of thing. And for our episode here on That's the Ticket, we talked with Ted about some ideas for how to simulate travel when you're stuck at home, like many of us are right now. And he actually discovered a really cool way to travel from home using Google Earth. Yeah, Ted has two small children, so he was traveling from home also before COVID-19. Yeah, I, it's probably difficult to travel with small children the way he did before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think Google Earth is a really cool way to travel, or at least to see how other places look like. Mm -hmm. And we talk with Ted about that, and we're going to have you listen to our discussion, but not before we give you some ways to travel from your home. Yeah, so there are really good ways to travel online. I like to follow travelers on Instagram and see pictures of beautiful places. And you can also look at videos of travelers on YouTube. In fact, my husband and I had a trip planned for Florida this July, and who knows if we'll be able to go at this point. But mm -hmm. to get ready, we were watching videos of like the theme parks like Disney World and Universal Studios mm -hmm. and watching point of view videos of the roller coasters and things like that. Wow, I guess it can create more of a feeling of being there. Yeah. You could also look at travel hacks on Pinterest or save the next awesome Airbnb rental you'd like to be at on your next vacation. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can always book travel that requires a year booking in advance and then hope that we'll be able to travel by then. Yeah, there are things like a special tour of Yellowstone during the winter. Mm. Yellowstone should be really special in the snow. So Yellowstone, if you don't know, is colorful geysers. And it's really beautiful. You have geysers in colors of orange and turquoise and other colors. And it would be really cool to see it in the snow. Hmm. And in this tour, there are very limited number of participants and you have to book it a really long time in advance. So maybe it's a good time to plan your next winter vacation in 2020 or maybe in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's so far ahead of time. But I agree. Mm-hmm. And that Yellowstone tour sounds really fun. And of course, if you're going to be booking travel so far in advance, don't forget to check their cancellation policy before you book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. That would be really important because yeah. now more than ever, it could possibly be canceled. Yeah, it's very true. So something else you can do is read a travel blog. There are tons of those. Or you could read a book about travel or read a book that takes place in a location you want to go to. It sounds like a great escapism from reality to travel. Yes. And of course, listen to travel podcasts. Don't forget about us. Yeah, definitely. Travel podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also cook something from a different culture. Mm-hmm. Or learn a, l- a new language that you always wanted to learn for your next trip. Yeah, my husband and I love to cook Japanese and Mexican food, and we've done it a lot during this pandemic, actually. Mm-hmm. And I love the app Duolingo that allows you to learn the basics of a language that you want to learn. And so there's plenty of time before our next trips. So no more excuses. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we'll put some links to ways you can travel from home in the show notes. Yes. And now let's hear the discussion with Ted. Here with my lovely co-host Renat. Hi. And we're also here today with a guest, Ted, who is somebody that I actually podcast with on a semi-regular basis uh, on our podcast called The Multipod, which is a podcast for multipotentialites. And if you don't know what multipotentialites are, basically somebody who has a lot of different interests that may or may not fit together and tries to pursue most of them. <laughs> and so our podcast, The Multipod, is all about that. So welcome, Ted, to That's the Ticket. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, we were thinking we would talk a little bit, uh, have a little bit of a discussion about how we're sort of getting through this travel, non-travel time, I should say. And um, yeah, so I guess what I wanted to start out with was asking Ted kind of what your travel history is, how much travel you've done, maybe hmm. where your favorite places to go. Yeah. Well, travel is a huge part of, I would say my life. I'm going to say my psyche because I can't travel even before all the lockdown here. I couldn't travel as much the last um, maybe three or four years as I did long before that because my wife and I now have two young kids who are two and four years old. Mm-hmm. And we have done our best to travel a little bit. We've, we've taken them to Cuba, but that's like resort travel. And we're used to doing, you know, road trips and backpacking and all the rest. But um, essentially, I kind of grew up with travel and the influence of travel from my parents and family and stuff. And we started taking some family trips when I was, oh, I guess around 12 years. 13 years old, you know, um, road trips and things like that. And it just blossomed into, I was, I was very fortunate in high school to do a, a couple school trips to Europe from where I live, which is Eastern Canada. So that really got me going. And then as soon as I actually, no, I took a year off in during university, I took a year off and lived in the UK for six months, traveled around Europe as well. Uh-huh. And then as soon as I finished uh, university, first thing I wanted to do was travel. And I remember vividly as I was finishing like finishing up my very last course, it was like a week or so to go, and I was like chomping at the bit to get going. And I sat down in our living room and pulled out an Atlas of Canada, 
and decided where I was going to go first because I really wanted to see more of Canada. I hadn't really explored all that much of my own country. It's so big. So it is big. Yeah. So I made that decision that I'm just going to go. I'm going to explore. I'm going to find work. I'm going to really uh, make the most of it. And my goal was always to to really live in places as much as I could. So to not just kind of travel for a week or two and then come back home, but to, you know, really to pack my bags and, and go. So I was in Halifax for a few months, and then I ended up out in Alberta in the Rocky Mountains in uh, in Lake Louise for summer. Mm-hmm. Um, not I far act- from us. That's right. Yeah. Well, then in Roundabout Way, I kind of went out to British Columbia, and then I got another job the following summer back in the, in the Rockies, uh, closer to Jasper. But in the interim, I did actually live in Edmonton, where you guys are, for about three months as I was waiting for the other job to start. So I kind of, this was the story for, for years, is that I would, you know, live in a place for a while, get a job, mm-hmm. and do my best to also explore and road trips, rent a car and stuff like that. First, it was mostly Canada, and then I started to go and see as much more of Europe as I could, uh, Western Europe, I guess, especially, but kind of bounced around a bit. Um, and, and Canada, bits of the States, the West Coast. In the end, the, the big trip, though, was in 2011, when I went to Australia for six months on a work mm-hmm. permit, and then New Zealand for four months on another work permit. And my wife uh, joined me. Now, my wife, uh, we met actually in one of those sojourns out in the Rocky Mountains, uh, mm-hmm. where we both had the same job out uh, near Jasper. And uh, it, that was a few years later that we both decided to take this big trip around the world. So she was working as a teacher at the time, and I was basically ready to go. So I went ahead to Australia. She joined me a few months later, and then we traveled around Australia for a month, and then New Zealand there for four months. And we ended up going after that around Southeast Asia for two months, uh, and then five weeks in India, northern India, mm-hmm. and uh, came home through Istanbul, Paris, and back to Montreal. And that was really neat because it took a long time. It was uh, over a year, but to circumnavigate the world. I left from Toronto, flew out of Vancouver, kept going to Australia, came all the way back around to uh, back to Eastern Canada. So that was kind of a neat feeling too. And then, and since then, I mean, we've stayed closer to home, but we've still taken some little trips to like New York and Chicago and the East Coast and stuff like that. So we've certainly done our best to uh, to keep the travel bug going. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it sounds like you traveled a lot. And I guess the only continent that you haven't been at is Africa? Africa and South America, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, okay. that's a question if it's a separate continent, right? Or does it count <laughs> I guess, I don't like know. America? <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're connected, of course. I, yeah. I guess most of us think of it as a separate continent. But for sure, we'd, we'd love to go there too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just what you do as travelers. You kind of prioritize. And we wanted to really see places longer, a bit more slow travel, as people call it, and uh, uh, take the time to experience places. So. Someday we'll get there. One of our dreams is to go to perhaps Peru with our kids as they're a bit older, but uh, maybe stay there for a year and teach English, learn Spanish, real cultural immersion. Like That's something I could see us doing in a few years. My husband and I have thought about going down to New Zealand for a little while, and my husband's also a teacher, so he could teach at an, uh, mm. uh, I was going to say an American school, but I meant an international school, uh, or a mm-hmm. Canadian school. They do have some Canadian schools around the world. Not sure about New Zealand, but I know they do exist in some places, so sometime I'll pick your brain about that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you know, you'll probably ask me this question anyway, but people always ask us, where was your favorite place, right. your favorite country? Yeah. Normally, I, I don't like choosing one place, you know, there's lots of places I like it, which is true. But really, at the end of the day, if there's one country that I've been to that I really love more than any, it's New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, do you like the South Island more or the North Island? Ah. <laughs> that is a good question. Well, I suppose the South Island, we ended up um, living there for a couple months. We found jobs at a local at a, a backpackers hostel in Fiordland. Mm -hmm. yeah. So near uh, Teano in the South Island. So we were right on the doorstep of like Milford Sound and not far from Queenstown and stuff like that. So that kind of felt like home for, you know, a couple of months. Yeah. But uh, when we got to New Zealand, we bought a little car and some camping supplies. Mm -hmm. And we uh, we drove around the whole country. So we really saw like virtually every corner of it. It was amazing. Uh -huh. That's amazing. Wow. That's really awesome. Amazing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings and everything, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, this is it. We, we look out our window and that was where they filmed it. It was amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to go there so badly. My dad's been many <laughs> times because he's done some business down there. Hmm. And he's like, someday I'll take you, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get out there. It's so, you know, it's a, it's a cliche, of course, that as far, I have never felt so far from anywhere. And they kind of embrace it in New Zealand because they're so far, you know, and, and for them, it's home. Yeah. They're used to it. And it's interesting with the pandemic because the story in the news lately has been how they've essentially defeated it, at least up to this point, yeah. because they were so, you know, everybody's really committed. And it is a small country. It's funny because, you know, you think of New Zealand, well, it's a fairly big country. There's less than 5 million people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and most of those are around Auckland and the North Island. But, um, you know, it's fairly easy for people to kind of agree to, to do the thing and lock themselves down. And of course, it's an island that's easier to do. But mm -hmm. it's just, it really does feel very very far away like you're at the ends of the earth yeah. and you're very you feel very self-sufficient new zealanders are known for that 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 uh they are resourceful they're used to things taking a long time and and they can fix things and all this kind of stuff because they're so isolated so mm -hmm. it's uh it's an interesting experience to feel really really remote and yet part of a community as well that's really cool i really like that mm. that uh idea that they are so self-sufficient and um, that they've kind of been going at it, at a, kind, I guess, kind of alone for a while. That's really interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, we just mentioned the, uh, the pandemic that's happening right now. So that's a good segue into something we definitely wanted to talk about, which is we're in this time where travel is kind of on pause and most people are grounded. And I saw a video uh, on a TV show um, made by somebody who's an essential worker and he has to travel for his job, but he's like, he was uh, an engineer doing um, various things for the healthcare sector. So he's traveling around and he made a video uh, in the airport with his phone and it was just empty. <laughs> and wow. it was so eerie. Like I've been in a fairly empty airport before, but it was like late at night. And this was like, you could tell it was daytime. Very strange. <laughs> So, yeah, I mm -hmm. mean, Renat and I were talking earlier about how we'd really like to talk about, like, how can we sort of fill that void right. for travel, mm -hmm. that thing that we all really want to be doing and we can't do right now. Do you have any ideas or things that you do? Well, this is it. I feel like I might have a good take on it because it's, uh, as I say, it's it's kind of what I've been doing anyway for the last, say, three or four years, uh, aside from... A little bit to travel with the kids. They they are 
pretty young. Our kids are two and four years old now. So uh, we've taken them to like Cuba and resort travel, which we were never into in the past. But when you have young kids, it's a pretty easy thing to do. And, and it, it gives them a little taste of it. But otherwise, I mean, you know, the kind of travel that we would normally do and are used to, we, we haven't done. So I find myself browsing around on like Google Street View and uh, uh, other apps and things like that and websites and just trying to capture that spirit of travel because I'm not really in position to do it myself right now. So I recognize that, you know, at this point in in where we're at in the world, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of other people. Most people are in the same boat. So I can kind of sympathize with that. And, well, I'm working on some ideas. I don't really have anything to offer yet, but I do have some ideas of uh, kind of putting together a bit of a, what I would call a virtual tour or something like that, where I can draw on some of my background as a tour guide and, um, you know, present little tours of famous places or maybe obscure places or things in nature. But you're dependent a bit, for sure, on Google and, and uh, Apple and other kind of um software, but, you know, you can put it together and you could present um, a bit of a tour, a kind of an interesting um, display of, of places around the world and interpret it. And it helps to feel like, you know, you're actually there. When I do that myself, by myself, just kind of browsing around, it's a neat feeling, you know, I feel like I was just in Japan or something, maybe, you know, even just kind of seeing people's pictures on the street and browsing through the maps and stuff. It, it it's uh, It's a neat feeling. So do you usually like go on Google Earth on or Google Streets uh for a few minutes or is it like mm -hmm. do you spend a long time there? Yeah, when I have free time. <laughs> But it's uh often I feel inspired. Lately I've really made the point if I'm seeing something in the news or I don't know, maybe a a film or reading a book or or something like that and I tell myself, well, I could I could actually go to Google load it up and punch in an address or a street and like go and see it, mm -hmm. you know, basically, I mean, it's not in person, but basically direct. You see the image and it's kind of like you're right there. Right. So for everyone listening, I mean, if you if you think and, and remind yourself to do that, it helps to to take you away to that destination. And, you know, it, it's something at least that you can do. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I kind of do that just habitually, I guess. So if I could if I could organize that and put it together in a more packaged way and, and kind of launch a YouTube channel or something, that'd be, that'd be kind of fun. Oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. Mm. That would be really cool. Something I really like that Google maps has been doing is it's been like this for a while, but uh, they are allowing people to add their own photos to certain landmarks yeah. or places that are on the map. And so even though you can go to Google street view, and quote unquote, walk around, you can also see pictures that people have taken, let's say you're at, I'm just for some reason, Japan's on my mind. So you're in Japan, and you go to a cool, beautiful Shinto shrine, and you put a picture up on Google Maps, and then somebody else can go and look at it on Google Maps. And it's not a replacement for being there. Yeah. But it's definitely a cool way to see it a little more clearly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's nice when they have the shots where you can turn the camera around, you know, the 360 panorama, and then Then you can yeah. zoom in and out. You can do a bit more of that exploring, actually, too. It's true. They've put a lot more features on it mm. <laughs> in the last while. Yeah. And Vanessa, you mentioned a virtual tour that your husband sent you, right? 
Yeah. So my husband's a teacher and they're teaching from home, all the teachers here. So they had, I'm not sure where he found this resource, but there's a website called weareteachers.com. And it's a list of best virtual field trips. And you don't have to be a teacher to go on this website. It's just a list of places that you can visit virtually. And they have like aquariums and museums, but then they also have like the Great Wall in China one thing that my husband did find, and I don't know if it's on this uh, this website, is a rover tour of Mars, which is pretty cool. So you can go and kind of like wow. move a little virtual camera around and see what Mars is like. Mm-hmm. So another thing they have is volcanoes. You can go visit volcanoes around the world. And hmm. oh, I guess it's the United States actually is the one they have on there. You can see Yellowstone virtually. Mm-hmm. A bunch of museums... You can go to various places with what they're calling the birthplace of music. So uh, Boise State, which I think is a university, put together a field trip of going to, you can go to Vienna, New Orleans, Cleveland, Bristol, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of Bristol, Tennessee, so that's interesting. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there's just a whole bunch of things on this list, so I'll definitely put it in the show notes. Um, Easter Island, you can go check out Easter Island, so it's very cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. I did that. Not that same one, but I was. That's a good example. I was on Google uh, Maps maybe a month ago and found myself on Easter Island. Mm. And like part of my thing, you know, is that I want to learn about a place. I love to. I love the feeling when you travel of going to a place you've never been, and you get out a map and you kind of start figuring out the puzzle yeah. of what mm-hmm. a place is like and how you get around. And it's like. Um, it's almost like in a video game or something where you lift the fog, you know, and, and like the the pathways and the maze and the, the map kind of starts to become clear, right? And so and, until you get to the point where suddenly it becomes familiar and maybe you've been there for a couple of days, you retrace your steps and like it starts to feel more familiar and sometimes it even starts to feel like home. Mm-hmm. I love that feeling. And you can do that a bit when it comes to this virtual stuff, like a place, Easter Island is a good example, you know, if you kind of browse around and you can zoom in and out, you can flip back and forth from like your satellite view to the map view, you can see where the airport is, you can see where the towns are, you can see how do people get around, where the roads are, stuff like that. So, you know, and once you do that, if you have fun with it, I mean, you know, 15 or 20 minutes or something like that you kind of really start to get a sense for what a place is like and it, and it lifts that mystery, that fog. The mystery is fun, but it's nice to pull that back and really figure out what a place is like. So it's not just a name, it's not just Easter Island, it's now you kind of understand, you know, what it's like, how big it is and how to get around, stuff like that. Uh-huh. So what is your, uh, like, travel philosophy in general? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, I, I don't know if I've ever really lived by philosophy, but... My approach would be to live in the moment and take the time to understand a place. Now, that's a good point, too, because in New Zealand another is another good example. We made the decision when we were there. We had our car, and it was a choice between, well, do we stay in certain places longer or do we try to see as much as we can? Mm-hmm. And we told ourselves, well, we have some time, like, and we, we were we were working at the place at the backpackers there for a couple months. We had some friends in New Zealand. We were staying at for Christmas. It was the end of uh, 2011. And then we had about another six weeks or so before we were moving on to uh, Singapore. So we had some time, but um, we're like, well, look, this 
could very likely, hopefully not, but possibly be the only time in our life we're ever in New Zealand. Okay. So if we're really going to see it and like see every corner as much as we can, this is our chance. So we made that decision. We're going to keep moving. We're going to like almost go to the same, a different place every day, you know, mm-hmm. and see as much as we could. But whenever we were in certain places like at Queenstown or Dunedin and South Island, and we went up to the North Island, stuff like that, uh, uh, Taranaki, the volcano on the West Coast, you know, we we really just made the most of being there, seeing as as much as we could. That Again, that whole approach of trying to learn and understand about a place, mm-hmm. it, a lot of walking, a lot of walking for <laughs> sure, um, and, and just seeing things on foot and just getting to know it. So I guess that would come back to the philosophy then that that's my motivation for travel is seeing and understanding places with my own eyes, Mm -hmm. which you would think would be pretty frustrating if now I can, none of us can. So I like the whole idea of the virtual thing is pretty much the closest replacement to that, Mm -hmm. seeing with your own eyes. Well, at least you can see it on your screen and you can navigate around. You can do quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So do you use your travel philosophy also when you look at things online? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you try to see as much as you can probably and... Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the general approach, yes, yeah, to to learn and understand a place and kind of put it all together. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, cool. It's interesting because if you go to a certain location, you are actually there, which is ideal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you were talking about how you can't, you know, uh, zoom out and see satellite view. You can't see mm. bird's eye view. You know, you only see what you see. And so... Um, it's almost like having a combination of the two could be really cool. Yeah. Either you're there and you're like, you know what? I want to see what this looks like from bird's eye view. And you like pull out your phone and you do that or whatever while you're there. Mm. Or you do the virtual thing first and then actually go there at a later date and um, yeah. kind of get that whole immersive experience, I guess. Could be interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I often, mm-hmm. That's true. I remember thinking that when I was a tour guide in the Rockies or in Vancouver, I was living there for a while. And I was driving the bus too, so you're kind of even more limited. Like you just had to speak through your little microphone and, yeah. and the people on the bus. And I often wish that I had more opportunity, even if someone else was driving, you're not really going to walk up and down the bus, like to be able to interact more, to pass things around, to really show things, point things out in the map and that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, it's the virtual thing. And especially if you were to make it into more of a kind of a structured tour that People could watch for whatever, 10 or 15 minutes or something. Like there's a lot of options you have for mm-hmm. flipping back and forth to photos, some little videos, zooming in and out, all that stuff. It's uh, there's, there's so much software out there, of course, now. Yeah. Yeah, really cool. It's a great idea. Hmm. Renat and I were talking before we recorded also about other things we can do right now while we're stuck at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I was thinking about how I have followed all these Instagram accounts. I don't even know how many now. And... They right now, a lot of them are posting older photos like this is from my trip a few months ago. This is from my trip a year ago. Mm. And that's kind of I've kind of been flipping through those Instagram accounts and sort of drooling over the photography because usually they have really nice photography and Mm. uh, kind of just being like, oh, I wish I could go. But I guess this is maybe it's one of the next next best things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Also looking at your own photos from from where you traveled mm-hmm. in the past. I mean, mm-hmm. I tend to take a lot of pictures when I travel. Me too. But then I never look at them again. 
after <laughs> I like I look at them maybe a few days after I traveled and then I put them aside and never look at them and I think it's a good time to yeah. pull out yeah. all the pictures and the old albums from where we had albums or yeah now's your <laughs> chance I actually have a, an actual photo album that my mom put together of a trip we took to Germany, which is a place I've been to many times and I'll probably talk about on the podcast at some point because my mom is from there. So uh, it was a particular trip. It wasn't even, there wasn't really a special reason for our trip. She just decided to put together <laughs> a photo album for it. And so sometimes I flip through that and marvel at how young I was and <laughs> and see pictures of family and whatever. Um and Renat earlier when we weren't recording yet was saying that uh, she, like you just said, you don't look at your pictures very much. And I'm like, really? Because I actually once in a while will go into my Facebook albums <laughs> and just flip through my pictures from from old trips yeah. just randomly once in a while. So, yeah. Yeah. Most of my pictures are not kept in Facebook, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have a bunch yeah. that aren't on Facebook as well. But yeah. Yeah. I was doing that a lot um, at a certain period. Back when I was in the Rockies, I guess, around maybe 2007, 2010. So I have a lot of photo albums from then. And since then, most of them are on a hard drive. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of flip back and forth. But um, it, when I see the Facebook albums, then it really is a snapshot in time, which, my God, is like more than 10 years ago now. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just want to go back to your tour guide. Yeah. So you were a tour guide in the Rockies? Yeah. So I kind of stumbled on this, which was fascinating because I studied in university. Uh, I have a BA in history and politics, which is one of those useful degrees, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm a multi-potentialite. So I was like, well, choose this and then see what happens. And I always knew I loved travel. And I stumbled on, like, like, I guess, a couple years later um, to becoming a tour guide just by chance because um, I saw there was an opening for a job and I had some friends working at this place and it's called the Columbia Icefield. So if anyone's been to the Rockies, then they'll, they'll know about it. It's between Lake Louise and Jasper. It's one of the big tourist attractions. Mm -hmm. And it's where they drive this big monster bus with monster tires on top of a glacier. So that was me driving the bus, which is Whoa. pretty cool. They pay you to get you your bus license, and they train you how to do it. And uh, every day you're you're showing people the ice, of course, and the mountains, and all the geology, and some of the history, and all this. And you know, for people who, of course, uh, never seen a glacier before, and a lot of people who haven't seen snow before, yeah. and people from all mm -hmm. around the world. And but you know, there's lots of great things about it, including the fact that's where I met my wife. But mm. <laughs> um, one of the really neat things is that the tours would run from, I guess, about nine in the morning till maybe six at night at the latest. And the ice field, it's pretty far north. It's it's not quite the same latitude as Edmonton, but it's pretty far north. So in the middle of summer, it would stay light out easily till eleven o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So we because now the closest town is Jasper, which is a hundred kilometers away. It's a good hour drive. Oh wow. So we all lived on site. They had staff accommodation. So we'd come home from work. You'd work seven or eight hours, do your thing, you'd do a few tours. And then you come home. They had uh, cooks there. They'd make us dinner for everybody. It's about 100 people that lived on site. And so, you know, you come home, your dinner's ready. You don't have to do dishes. You don't have to go grocery shopping. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> uh, it could be like 6.30. And like, you still have like, it feels like a whole half of a day. You can go for a big three-hour hike or something, you know? Like, wow. mm -hmm. there's, there's so much you could do. So it was, uh, oh yeah, and then the best thing really was the fact that 
for the tourists, well, there was a hotel on site. It was pretty small. Like 95% of the tourists would carry on. They'd go back to Banff. They'd go to Jasper or wherever. So the all, all of us living there had the whole place to ourselves. There were thousands of people there during the day. And now suddenly there's like 100 of us wow. there at night. And we have this whole incredible, you know, majestic place to ourselves. It was it was incredible. So Sounds amazing. That was a pretty special place. So I stumbled into becoming a tour guide. And from there, I wanted to kind of expand the uh, experience and do something more urban, a little more diverse. And that's how I ended up in Vancouver for about a year and a half. And I wanted to be there for the Olympics. So I, I oh, moved yeah. to Vancouver in 2009 and stayed for about a year and a half right through the Olympics. Oh, wow. Okay. And where are you yeah. originally from? Where did you grow up? <laughs> so originally I'm from uh, Peterborough, which is in Ontario between Toronto and uh, Ottawa. Oh, okay. And my wife is, uh, is from Quebec. She's... Uh, if she grew up in a town near Trois-Rivières between Montreal and Quebec City. So uh, we, well, I lived with her near there for a couple of years, learning my French. And in the end, we decided to settle in Gatineau, which is across the river from Ottawa, which is kind of between our families, and we have family nearby. So it's kind of a, the compromise, but this is where we are now. And, uh, and you know, Ottawa's capital city. It's a nice area, and I, and I work for Parks Canada. It's the the park service here. The the Rideau Canal is the local uh, historic site. So um, it's still kind of in tourism. You get to interpret and show people around and explain everything. Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of thing. You know, you 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 see people come from all around the world to see the city and to see the attractions and stuff. So you, you get to share a bit of their travel experience. That was one of the wonderful things about being a tour guide is you, like, you travel vicariously with these people who've come from all these other places and they're on this trip of a lifetime and you get to share it with them and you get to explain things and just you really live it with them. It's, it's a neat experience. <laughs> My mom used to be a tour guide when she was younger in Germany and uh, I think she did it because she wanted to practice her English and so that's why she... Uh, started doing it, but she turned into that person who would be like, I have facts about everything. <laughs> so if I went to Germany with her, um, we would go to a place that she was familiar with or be even near it driving on the highway, just driving past it. And she'd be like, let me tell you some facts about this place. And I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of cool. I learned some stuff from her. <laughs> it's funny at the ice field there, there were short tours. You'd spend about 45 minutes or so with the groups out on the ice. So you do that, you know, six or seven times a day. Sometimes there would be Chinese or Korean tours and they'd have their own tour guide. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'd interpret and you'd say like a sentence and then they would translate it into their language. But I would do probably 300 tours uh, in the course of a summer. And I was there for four summers. I'm sure that was eight years ago. The last time I was there, I'm sure I could still do my tour <laughs> By heart now. I said it so many times. Probably. <laughs> I was yeah. actually uh, in Banff uh, a couple years ago, a few years ago, uh, and we did go up to Lake Louise, but we didn't get to the, what did you call them? The What was that area called again? The Columbia Icefield. Columbia Icefield. Yeah, we didn't get up there, but now I want to go. That sounds so cool. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, part of the part of the actual attraction is the road, the Icefields Parkway. Yeah. Which is one of the stunning drives in the world, like you see in National Geographic and all these all these things about the great drives of the world. And it is because, you know, you're going through valleys and steep cliffs and glaciers all around you and big, tall mountains. And it's rugged. It's isolated. Like, there's, there's no towns. There's a couple little motels and stuff and the actual Columbia Icefield attraction. But aside from that, like, it's nature and you're, 
is stunning, but you can do it in like an afternoon. It's not that mm-hmm. far. It's about maybe three hours from, I guess, Lake Louise to Jasper if you drive straight through. Renat, we're mm-hmm. not that far. We got to go. All right. Yeah. Let's <laughs> when quarantine go, is yeah. lifted. We can go now. <laughs> yeah. Ted, thank you so much for being on this episode with us. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, Ted. Yeah, thank you. And it's so nice to be able to talk about travel. I don't get to do it nearly as much as I used to. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been on a little trip. <laughs> awesome. Maybe we'll have you on again and we can get a little bit more into the details of your worldwide adventures. Sounds mm-hmm. fun. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, uh, I've seen lots of countries and lots of great experiences. So very cool. I'd love to share some more stories. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any new episodes. And please also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and on Podchaser so that others can find our podcast more easily. And you can get in touch with us directly using our email. That's theticketpod at gmail.com. And don't forget about our social media. We're at That's the Ticket Pod on Instagram and Facebook and Ticket Pod on Twitter. We'd love it if you leave a note in Facebook or Instagram and say what you thought of the episode. It really helps us to know what parts or episodes you liked better or what you want to hear about more in the future. So thank you very much for listening. Yes. Catch you later. Bye.